Um, we are, uh, we're in a series going through the book of Acts together, and uh, last week we, we talked about Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, you don't hear many sermons on a tricky, tricky uh, passage like that, so I'd encourage you to, to go back if you missed it last week and, uh, and get caught up in that. Um, today we are picking up in Acts chapter 5 and starting in verse 12, and it comes on the heels of the death of Ananias and Sapphira. Um, the last thing we read in, in verse 11 was this, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. So Ananias and Sapphira die, they're buried, and it says great fear seized the church. And so there's this sense of holy awe and honor and respect and fear among the people. And it ushers in what we're about to read in verse 12. So why don't you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. Uh, we've got a, a kind of a larger portion of scripture, so I'm just going to read through it and then we'll talk about it. All right, uh, Acts chapter 5, verse 12, it says, The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Then the high priest and all the associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to, to teach the people. When the high priests and the associates arrived, they, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving to the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. There, they did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. And this is what he said. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and we are determined to, and you are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We're witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. I'm going to skip over a portion, but there's a Pharisee named, Gal named um, Gamaliel who convinces the Sanhedrin not to kill them and just let them go. And then in verse 40, it says this, his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Catch this, these last two verses. The, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing 
because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for this name. Day after day in the temple courts from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Lord Jesus, I thank you that, um, man, we belong to a church that just doesn't quit, that just never stops. Lord, I pray that as we talk and read this account of the early church, that there would spark something in us to just not stop doing the last thing that you told us to do. May we not leave this place the same in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. So, um, so the title of my message today is The Unstoppable Church, because um, we see this church that just that just didn't stop doing what Jesus told them to do. And they had many reasons to push the pause button. They had many reasons to just say like, okay, maybe maybe we should pull back a little bit. Things don't be, they're not going that well. They've got great fear. They've got threats. They've got persecution. They have been imprisoned. They have been beaten. But they just keep on doing the last thing that God told them to do, even in tension. And tension is something that we don't necessarily like, especially here in our American lives. We don't like to hold things in tension. We like things to be cleat, or clean, and, and a lot of times things in life are just messy. And, uh, and what we find here is in this chapter, especially in chapter 5, I mean, my goodness, we just did Ananas and Sapphira, that all this stuff takes place. It is full of tension. Just look at verses 13 and 14, because they honestly, even these first verses contradict themselves. It says this, no one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the name and were added to their number. So my question is, is like if you look at verse 13 and then you look at verse 14, how in the world does no one dare join them and then yet also have people added to their number? How, how do you have those two things happening at the same time? And I think that at the heart of it, um, it's this response to what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. It's not that nobody joined them. It's that nobody joined them lightly. Nobody joined them half-heartedly. Look, if, if somebody dies, and, and, and did you hear about Ananias and Sapphira? Yeah, I guess. I mean, they, I don't know what they did. I mean, why, why did they die? You know, they, they didn't turn in all the money. Was that the reason? I don't know. Here's the reality. There was great fear. There was respect, honor of the name of the Lord. And there is this sense of like, if I'm in, I'm all in. Jesus isn't an add-on to my life. It's not like, I don't know, I think I need a little more religion in my life. I kind of like this idea. It's this sense of like, no, this, either, either I'm in or I'm not. Either I'm all in or I'm walking away. There, were, there was no kind of middle ground here. There was this healthy honor and great fear that was probably palpable in this church, and it ushers in a time of great healing and great power. And the first point in your notes says is that the unstoppable church always includes healing or helping and healing people. And this is what they do. I love it. This is what, this is their Ananias and Sapphira die. The first thing they're doing, verse fifteen. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets, laid them on beds and mats, so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Then it says this in verse 16, crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil, impure spirits. And 
all of them were healed. Now, it doesn't say this, but this whole shadow thing, I don't know if you've ever read that and been like, that's, that's odd. Like, what was up with Peter's shadow? My guess is that at least one person was, was healed in Peter's shadow, and then they made it into a thing, right? Does this mean that Peter had this kind of Holy Spirit-empowered shadow? Probably not. Uh, I don't see any evidence. They don't talk about this. But maybe his shadow was like the hem of Jesus' garment for the woman with the issue of blood. You ever been to a place where you just need a point of contact for your faith, where maybe someone in this early church was saying, I know that if, I, if, he, if, I, if his shadow would just hit me, I know that I can be healed. And it was a point of contact of faith for someone to find freedom. And then it becomes like this, this thing. Why? Because, well, what we tend to do is we like to make a memorial out of a moment and then we make a doctrine out of an experience. And so now all of a sudden this thing becomes a thing and word on the street is Peter's shadow is holy. Just, just let it fall on you, man. Just pray the sun is just right. You can get your foot in there because that's going to be your healing. Either way, what is so awesome is that God is using these believers in a time of tension to bring hope and healing and freedom to so many people. I mean, it even says that everyone that was brought before them, all of them, all of them were healed. All of them. And it's important for us because when the church is convinced that we exist for ourselves rather than for the benefit of others, we cease to be an unstoppable church. God saves us. He blesses us to be a blessing to others. And so I just want to encourage you, as we are a part of an unstoppable movement, never stop helping, never stop healing, never stop praying for people. It is what makes us unstoppable. But everyone wasn't happy about this. We see in verse 17, the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. And so what did they do? They arrested the apostles. For what? For healing people? Again, this weird arrest thing, right? Like they, they arrested the apostles, put them in public jail. The unstoppable church will always include encountering jealous opposition and attempting to silence it. <laughs> and, and you may be wondering like, okay, why exactly were they put in prison? Why were they put in jail? Good question. At the root of it, it was all jealousy, kind of religious leaders saying like, um, I don't know, this is not happening. Pay attention when people don't clap when you succeed. <laughs> you, you ever watch like those, uh, those, you know, GMA awards or things like that, and they zero in on somebody that didn't get the prize, the win, the, the, the statue thing or whatever, and they're just like, hmm. It's jealousy. Pay attention when someone doesn't clap when you succeed. When something happens and they're like, oh, well. Lucky, I guess. And so this is kind of like becoming a thing, and at the root of it is all jealousy. And honestly, jealousy is a thing that's easy to see in other people. It's very difficult to see in ourselves. Very difficult to see in ourselves. And jealousy can cause you to, to view a good thing as a bad thing simply because it's not your thing. You realize that? Jealousy can cause you to look at a good thing and see it as a bad thing because it's not your thing. Why? Because I like all my ideas just like you think your ideas are the best. And so I can look at your idea and say, ah, I don't necessarily think that's a good idea. It sounds like a bad idea because it's not my idea. Now, if I had thought of it, then we would be thinking, have a very different 
conversation here. Jealousy. And so we look at these religious leaders that are overlooking all of the good things, the healings. Everyone is being healed. Things are happening. Uh, demons are fleeing. And they're overlooking all of these good things. Why? Because they're simply wanting to maintain their thing. And so they try to shut it down. And look at what happens next. It says, verse 19, During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Can you imagine this? Like, you're like, oh, man, this stinks. Who, I mean, why are we in jail in the first place? We've been doing good stuff, and, you know, I don't understand. And all of a sudden, an angel, a ninja angel, breaks in and frees you from prison. I mean, that, that right there is an amazing thing. And then what does this angel say to them? Does he say this? Okay, guys, come on. I'm a ninja angel. You need to run for your lives, okay? Here are some fake passports, and, and I need you to meet me at the extraction point. I'll meet you there, right? Does he say that? I love that, right? I mean, like, all right, hallelujah. Where are these tickets? These plane tickets to, to, to Tahiti so we can get out of town, get out of Dodge, like get to a safe place where this isn't going to happen again. We're getting out of jail free, and, and this is going to be awesome. Thank you so much, Ninja Angel. And I, I love this. And this is what the angel says instead. Verse 20, go, stand in the temple courts and tell the people all about this new life. So let me get this straight. Ninja Angel comes in. Hey, psst, 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 psst. Hey, guys. Hiya. I'm letting you out. Oh, cool. Hey, thanks, Ninja Angel. Like, what, what should we do now? What should we do now you're letting us out? Okay, look. I need you to go back to the same place you were when you got arrested and tell people about Jesus. Oh, okay. Ninja Angel, is it okay if I call you that? Okay, so here's the thing. That didn't work out that well. Like, I thanks so much for letting us out, and that's so cool what you're doing, but I just need you to understand, like, that's what got us into the slammer in the first place. To which Ninja Angel says, I know, but my job is to get you out. Your job is to walk in obedience to the last thing that God told you to do. Oh. And so what, what do these people do? I mean, they wake up early the next morning. Hey, guys, come on. It's time to get arrested. Let's go. Peter, 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 come on, come on. And they go and take a stand. And they stand out in the same temple court that they got arrested the day before and do the last thing that God told them to do. Can I just tell you, church, that sometimes all you can do is just stand. Sometimes half the battle is just showing up. Even if you're scared, even if you don't understand, even if you're like, I'm not necessarily sure what the outcome is going to be here. See, the outcome is God's responsibility. Our responsibility is to be obedient to him. Even when it's confusing, even when it's like, I don't think this is a great idea. Seems like this is going to end the same way that it ended before. Meanwhile, back at the prison, they go to get the apostles, out, open the cell, which is locked, Ninja Angel, cool, 
Uh, it's locked. He locks it back. They open it up. No prisoners. Barney Fife comes in. Andy, right? He says, these guys that you just put in jail, they're out there again, Andy, right? I mean, they're, they're out there doing the same place, doing the exact same thing. And this gets really awkward really quickly because they look like they're just like been bamboozled. Like they're just like, oh, he'll, oh, he'll, like, they're just like, it's just kind of like this, this weird, like cops and robbers television show. And, and so they go back again and they're just like, oh, dum dum They go back to the temple courts and they get the apostles. And this time they don't take them by force. They're just like, hey, do you think maybe you could come with us? <laughs> and they bring them back in front of the Sanhedrin. The apostles willingly go to be questioned by the high priest to which in verse 28, the high priest looks at them and he says, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. And yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Notice how hard the high priest is working to not say the name of Jesus. (laughs) He's like, I told you not to speak in this name. What name is that? This name. You're determined to make us guilty of that man. What man? That man. His blood. Why was he working so hard? Why? Because there is power in the name of Jesus. Even unbelievers know that there is power in the name of Jesus. And we talked just a couple weeks ago that there's this reality that it's okay for you to be spiritual. It's okay for you to be into astrology. You can talk about God. Just don't say that name. It's okay. Get into crystals. Get into tarot cards. You could talk about Muhammad. You could talk about Buddha, Buddha, Buddha. You could talk about Confucius. Just don't use that name. But this unstoppable church would not stop preaching the name of Jesus. Listen, when the church stops preaching Jesus, then the church stops being unstoppable. And we know that to be true. Even today, we turn into a social club rather than a powerful movement of the Spirit of God. He goes on, and I love how they respond in verse 29. Peter and the other apostles, they reply, we must obey God rather than human beings. He literally had already told this same group of people the same thing before. In other words, he's like, you know, um, I heard what you said about not preaching the name of Jesus. And no, I'm not hard of hearing. I'm just not listening to you. I I understand, but I I just need you guys to know. I mean, you're very impressive. I'm just more impressed with Jesus. I just need you to know, like, I, I understand your threats. I just need you to know that the voice of God in my life is louder than your threats. So, so don't get me wrong. I know you're scary, but I just have more fear of the Lord in me than I do have fear of you. Because the unstoppable church walks in obedience to God rather than the fear of man. And it's important for us to understand this. And let me just kind of make this clarification here. Because I think that the church has used this for far too long as an out to just disobey and just be rebellious, right? Ah, I listen to God, not you. 
Why don't you shut your mouth, right? I'm listening to God. I obey God, not man. And so we kind of have couched this at at times in life as a way to just walk, walk in rebellion. And it's important for you to understand that they were not simply trying to defy the laws of man. They weren't trying to just stick it to the man and say, you know, you don't tell me what to do because I'm a Christian and I listen to God and God alone. No, they were walking not in defiance of man. They were walking in obedience to the Lord. And I just need you to understand the difference between those two things because they both lead to consequences. One of them is called persecution. The other one is just called prosecution. Don't get the two mixed up. Defiance of man is not the same thing as obedience to God. You do listen to God, not man, but we don't walk in defiance of man just because, well, I get to do what I want to do, right? We don't mix those two things up. In other words, if you are being persecuted, make sure that you're being persecuted for the name of Jesus, not your name. And when the church gets screwed up is when we start to take the Lord's name in vain. What do I mean by that? I mean when we start to apply Jesus' name on our junk, that's what I, you know, honestly, when we talk about, oh, don't take the Lord's name in vain, does it mean saying Jesus Christ or God when you hit your, hit your thumb with a, with a nail or something like that? No, it means don't put Jesus' name on something that isn't Jesus. So if you're going to be persecuted, be persecuted. But if you're going to be prosecuted for just being defiant, then be prosecuted, but don't call it persecution. Be persecuted for Jesus' name and what he stands for, and he's calling you to. And if you want to be rebellious, just don't, just don't blame Jesus for it. Does that make sense? All right, I'll, I'll move on. I know that's I know that's rough. Peter preaches again, and if you notice this, I don't know if you've noticed this. As we've been going through the Book of Acts, he's got like a one-trick pony. He's got one sermon. He's like that traveling preacher that just preaches the same sermon at a bunch of different churches and and conferences all around. It's almost like he's just preaching it like it's brand new, even though he already preached this exact same sermon to the same group of people just days ago. It's almost like this is the only thing that matters in life to him, and it's this. Jesus Christ is the Savior. He was raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven. You need to believe in him, repent of your sins, and receive the Holy Spirit. And he just drops the mic, to which they're like, you already told us this. And he's like, I know, you haven't made the decision yet. And your indecision is more of a decision than you think. He just, he just preaches this same thing over. Can I just tell you, Peter, all he knows to preach is Jesus. He is like, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Have I told you about Jesus? Let me tell you about Jesus. I'm like, stop talking about Jesus. That's all I can talk about because his power, he, there's something about that name. Church, we can study and preach and teach about all kinds of different things. We can talk about marriage. We can talk about parenting. We can talk about finances. But I'm just telling you, when the church stops preaching Jesus, the church becomes powerless. And all those things are great, but it better be about Jesus. And we watch. We watch churches go down the road of reading poems and talking about nice things rather than preaching the name of Jesus, because there's something about that name. And then there's this Pharisee named Gamaliel who convinces the Sanhedrin. You can read that on your own for the sake of time. I just kind of cut that whole section out. He, he, he essentially is like, hey, guys, I don't think we should kill them. I think that we should let them go because you know what? If it's of God, yeah, then we're going to be fighting God. But if it's not of God, it's going to die on its own. We've seen this happen before. In verse 40, it says this. His speech persuaded them, and they called the apostles in and had them flogged. 
Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now, there's this word in here. Um, They just kind of mention it and don't really go into much detail. It just says they had them flogged. But I need you to understand what that means. It doesn't go into much detail, but this is kind of how a normal flogging went. You get stripped naked in a public place, and you're given a maximum of 39 lashes with a whip. 26 across your back, then they flip you over and give you 13 across your chest. Why 39? Well, because Deuteronomy 25 says the max you can get is 40, and so they count out 39 lashes so as not to break the law. Because when you're religious, it doesn't bother you that you are flogging someone unjustly. It bothers you when you miscount. This is what happens to them. I just want to th- just think of their backs. <laughs> just think of their, the, ble- the, the bleeding, the condition of their bodies in the midst of what in the world just happened. This has been a very eventful 24 hours. Because I want you to see how they respond in verse 41. They get flogged. It says, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. What? Rejoicing? Because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. What in the world? How in the world can you rejoice And I'm talking about being able to find the silver lining on any cloud. Like, this is completely upside down. But what we find is that the unstoppable church has joy in being counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. And the thing that blows my mind is that their joy is not dependent on their circumstances. You catch this? They were joyful when they were released from prison, and they were joyful when they were beaten for the cause of Christ. What? Here's the thing. It is natural for us to rejoice when we get a check in the mail and a get-out-of-jail-free card, and we are healed and freed and forgiven and saved. That is natural. It is supernatural, church, when you can rejoice in the midst of pain. That's supernatural. It's above anything that we can even comprehend. And the thing that blows my mind is that their flogging did not affect their faith. They still rejoiced just as much as being free from prison as they did from being flogged. And I think that maybe even in the midst of grief and pain in our own church today, like I think maybe someone in here needs to hear that God is with you and was with you when he set you free and he is still with you as you go through pain. He is still there. And the presence of suffering does not mean the absence of joy. And so what we find in this story, what seems absolutely impossible, improbable, and unexpected is that Pain and joy can coexist. Grief and joy can coexist. It is possible to feel pain and still sense the presence of God in the midst of it. This is crazy. 
as they walk this thing out. So what do they do next? Verse 42. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Listen, this thing that I cannot escape is how unstoppable the early church is. Unstoppable. Why? Because they never stopped. Personally, if I was freed by a ninja angel from prison, I would probably wonder, okay, so you freed me from prison by a ninja angel. Why in the world did you not free me from the pain of flogging? I mean, can we just be real? Like, I I don't know, if I was one of these apostles that was getting whipped 39 times, I would probably be wondering like, huh, ninja angel whipped. How in the world do I, am I freed miraculously, unexpectedly in one instance and yet going through pain in another? And they just kept rejoicing. They never stopped telling people about the good news. And what the beauty of this is, is that their bad news did not change the good news. Meaning as they can't literally not change their shirts because they are in so much pain, they're still rejoicing in the midst of it for being counted worthy of of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. Like, hallelujah. Not so much that we got freed, but that we get to suffer in the same way that Jesus did. And so what I want to say is to you, is for maybe some of us in here, is never stop. Just don't stop. And I look at a church in, in our day and age that just, we quit too quickly. Don't stop because you hit a wall. Don't stop because you encounter jealous opposition. Don't stop because someone told you to. Don't stop even after you're set free. Don't stop because you feel beaten down. Don't stop because you got bad news. Don't stop because you feel like quitting. What you really need to do in the middle of the the pause of, of, of feeling like I'm just beaten down is to remember why we started in the first place and the God who called you and just never stopped doing the last thing that he called you to do. But I don't understand. I know. I bet that was the question of most of them. Why this? Why this? In the midst of all of it. They just never stopped. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Listen, any of us can have the faith to start something, but it is truly impressive when someone has the fortitude to finish something. Don't stop. Keep fighting the good fight. Don't quit too quickly. Your race is not yet over. If you're sucking oxygen on the planet Earth, your race is not yet over. Why don't you stand with me? (laughs) Talk about unstoppable in the face of all kinds of adversity and pain and doubt and fears. I have a problem, and so some of you may 
if you're kind of new here, maybe I, I have a problem with how many people view the book of Acts. As you read through theologians and scholars and commentaries, um, many times what, what, we, what we read, if you've kind of done any studying on your own, is that um, there are many commentaries and, uh, and theologians that will say that, well, what the early church was operating under was a special dispensation of the Holy Spirit that is not available to us today. In other words, like God was dealing with the early church in a very special and different way. And so that was for then. And um, many will even say that um, miracles and signs and wonders and gifts of the Holy Spirit ceased when the original apostles died. So therefore, now we're under a new dispensation that is different from um, what we read in the book of Acts. I, I just don't see that in the Bible. I don't see it in the Bible. In fact, I'm absolutely convinced that there is no difference whatsoever between the church of our day in possibilities and potential and the church of the first century as it affected the church of their day. What ruins me is that I do see a very sleepy church who is settled for a form of godliness but denies the power. What ruins me is that I do see a church that needs to awaken to the calling no matter the cost. I mean, what absolutely ruins me is that I do see a church that quits too quickly. Look at, look at what a mask-wearing pandemic has done, right? Well, just kind of gonna take a step back. Maybe take this as an opportunity. Maybe it's the will of the Lord to stop gathering. Maybe, it's, maybe this is kind of where I should be right now. What I do see is an unstoppable church that has no clue how unstoppable she is. No clue. I see, I see a church that has been endowed and imbued from power from on high that has no clue the possibilities that they could be walking in. And so my question I want to leave you with today is this. What would it take to stop you? What would it take to stop you from gathering? What would it take to stop you from seeking him? What would it take to stop you from praying for the sick? What would it take to stop you from speaking the name of Jesus? What would it take to stop you from rejoicing no matter the circumstances? What would it take to stop you? In just a moment, we're going we're gonna to end with a worship song. And here's what I, I think in response to what it is that we're seeing, even in this, this story of the early church, I just want to encourage you to come into a place where you just choose to walk and to take a stand and do the last thing that Jesus called you to do, even if it hurts, even if you don't know the outcome, even if you're unsure, even if you've got doubts, even if you've got pain, even if you've got grief, even if you're going through a time where you're just like, what in the world? Why? I just want to encourage you to maybe come to a place where you come back to the reason why you did it in the first place and strip away all the junk that has clouded the vision of that and walk in obedience to that. So as we, as we enter into worship, I want to read this scripture over you. I just want it to wash over you. It's what Paul wrote in Romans 8. He says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And he says this, even in the midst of pain, he says, for I am convinced 
that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither present, nor future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Amen? Lord Jesus, I pray for a settled spirit, a convinced heart as we walk and choose to do the last thing that you called us to do, to take a stand even in the midst of uncertainty. Lord, I pray that we would be a convinced church that would walk and be unstoppable in what you've called us to do and what you've placed before us. Lord, I pray that maybe today is a day where we surrender our lives and say, I choose this day to stand and to be convinced that you are God and that you have, you are more than enough. And so Jesus, we lift your name up. Church, let's worship him together. Hallelujah, in Jesus' name.